Internet people. So this is our regularly scheduled program, uh, Evangelization Moments, and we are our two of three today. Uh, Matt is a little bit under the weather, so he's not here, plus we have a little bit of weather to contend with. So today we have a, a rather daunting challenge. We're going to kind of work outside the box. Usually we're hopefully talking to other good Christians and Catholics who are listening to this radio program. But this is evangelization moments. So we are looking for an opportunity, or um, we're looking for ways to help other people to spread the word. And one of the fundamental steps in spreading the word is having somebody have an openness to the existence of God. And often people will, will fight that. You know, you don't even get to step two, talking about Jesus or Scripture. Okay, Internet people, we got about a minute. So we're doing things a little bit differently today. Remember, what did Jesus do very well? He met people where they were at. So if we, can, we, if we are confronted with friends and relatives and, and acquaintances who are atheists or agnostics or don't believe in God, beating them over the head with the Bible and the catechism isn't going to do a whole lot of good. Got to meet them where they're at. So it's a little bit of a different program today, um, but this is evangelization moments, and we want to give everybody some tools on how to spread the word. Uh, we're about to go on the air. Welcome to the St. Joseph Radio Presents live program broadcasting to you from the Rome of the West, St. Louis, Missouri. The program that for over 30 years has brought you eloquent speakers from across the globe to help explain, clarify, and evangelize the Catholic faith. Our program covers a variety of topics relating to current issues and occurrences in our daily lives. Now, with the aid of technology, we are able to bring the gospel message to the four corners of the world where Christ himself did say, those who have ears ought to hear. It is our hope at St. Joseph Radio that through these programs, we can help evangelize the world and change one soul at a time. Now, here is your host to introduce today's guest and topic. Well, thank you, Matt. I am your host today and uh, panel member, Peter Karutz. And uh, here at my right-hand side is Ray Gerard, the ever-infamous and knowledgeable and In wise man here. Infamy. I I'm guilty of infamy now. I don't know. Have you done anything bad recently? Well, I guess I have. I don't I, know. The way you just introduced me, I guess we'll, so. We'll be, we're about to find out. Actually, I think I might be the guy who is uh, guilty of infamy here. Uh, we are going to take a little bit of a different approach. First off, remember, today is the third Saturday, Saturday of the month, so that means that this is evangelization moments. It is. So evangelization moments, the whole uh, purpose of this is to remind us all, Ray and myself, that the job of evangelization is the guys with the pointy hats and the collars. No, it's it's us. It's all of us who are baptized. That's everybody who's listening and uh, everybody, everybody, right? 
And what we like to do is talk about how we can give you some tools, ticks, tricks, and um, tricks and picks and something. Something. To, you just keep rolling. Yeah, things that will allow you to help get there. So today's program is Where is God? Have you all ever been approached by a friend, a family member, a, an acquaintance, and and the and the first thing out of their mouth, there is no God, or you know that. There is, you know, that they don't believe that there's a God. I, w- I was with one of my partners a couple of months, a couple of years ago, actually. We don't get together anymore. He had a Star of David on, and I start talking about the Jewish faith. He says, no, I don't believe in God. <laughs> I, I, I was with a client. We were on a big bus, and we were going to see, uh, I think it was Billy Joel, and I know he's Jewish. In fact, he said, the uh, help me with the grace before the meal. And he says, I don't know, I got, the, I got a problem with God. But, but you know what a lot of people do? A lot of people. You look at the survey data, and you know, the fastest growing, I think, denomination is the nuns. Not, <clears throat> not cloistered nuns, not sisters of a, of a particular order. Nuns, N-O-N-E-S. That's the, you know, the fastest growing denomination, I guess. So it's, you know, it's, it's, it's out there, and, and why not? I mean, there's so much in our culture that tells us not to believe. Absolutely. and But remember this, uh, uh, the world abhors a vacuum. So if you say, I believe in nothing, you're prime material to believe in something. You're going to get something. The vacuum cannot continue to exist. So we're going to talk about where is God. And here's the different approach. <coughs> Excuse me, we're two weeks. So we're going to have to, we're going to approach this not as if we're talking to a, a brother or a sister Christian, but somebody who doesn't believe. We're going to do like Jesus did. We're going to meet them where they're at, at the risk of committing heresy. And and as we were talking about this before the program, Ray said, be careful. (laughs) I did? did. Yes, you did. So (laughs) we'll be did. So I'm going to be double careful and say, Ray, can you start us off with a a prayer? Sure. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Uh, Dear uh, Lord in heaven, uh, we uh, we ask for your guidance. We ask for your help. We ask for your guidance and help in what we say on this program today. We ask for your guidance and help in what we hear. Uh, you know uh, what we hear from, not only you know what may come across the radio, but you know from everybody around us. Help us to have a real, true desire to want to help other people. Help us to have a real, true desire to help other people come to know you. People who. Um, don't believe, we can call them atheists, we can call them unbelievers, really who they are, are the people who simply have not felt the love of God yet. Help us in all we we say, but more importantly, what we do to show through our actions uh, the love of God and help us to, to spread that. And we ask all of this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You know, and Ray, before we go too much further, what you said in that prayer is really the crux of it. We're not going to change somebody's mind via an intellectual argument. In the end, their heart needs to be changed. But this is sort of a part one. If If someone approaches a Christian and they can't even describe why they believe in God, you sort of don't get to step two to change the mind and the heart. But uh, so ultimately, we, we do have to change hearts. Uh, so And it's in the little things we do all the time. It's oh, the sure. things we do all the time. So there's a, there's a woman I know, and she had, was a woman of some notoriety. And um, <clears throat> she was in a, a church, and she took a seat uh, in a pew in the back of the church. And a whole bunch of other people, you know, then complained that um, she didn't belong there, she shouldn't sit there, 
and they wanted her to leave, get out. You know, this is our seat, get out. And uh, then one of the people uh, that was in this group ordering her to leave recognized her. Like I said, she was a woman of some notoriety, and they recognized her. And, said, and then <clears throat> once that person explained who she was to everybody else, then all of a sudden everybody wanted her to stay. Oh, please, take our seat, take our seat. And she told them, she said, you know, what if I was a person who was coming into this Catholic church for the very first time, and this is how I was treated? Would I ever come back into this church? And so it's those little things we do, whether it's allowing, you know, giving somebody a, a, you know, a seat and a, spot, a space in our pew or what have you. There are opportunities everywhere, all the time, to show people the love of God. Absolutely, yeah. You know, I, I, I've said this before, but I remember uh, Archbishop Carlson said, uh, came to our parish, said a homily, and he, uh, he gave us homework. There were a couple of things to do. One of them was to read five minutes of Scripture, five verses of Scripture every day. He says, your life will be changed. He says, pick Matthew. Sure. Um, the second thing he said is, welcome somebody who you don't know at Mass. You know what? I'd already done that. I do that all the time. And uh, But you know what? You never know who that person you welcome is or where they're at. Are they coming in here for the first time or maybe the last time? You know, Are, are they in, in troubled? Are they lonely? You don't lose anything with a kind word. So I, I, I'm with you. Let's, let's be welcoming. Oh, <clears throat> you know, I, it never ceases to amaze me that— I am so completely um, and uh, invariably wrong about people. I mean, the minute you, you come up with some kind of assumption as to uh, a particular person, you know, oh, they've got a sour expression on their face, and then you think, well, you know, you know, they're, you know, they're not a happy person. And then you might find out from somebody else that you know that you know, somebody close to them in their family just died. Or, you know, it just never ceases to amaze me how invariably I can be wrong whenever I form a judgment about somebody when I don't really know what's going on. Yeah, yeah. Well, and you know, as we continue to digress, I remember Mother Teresa being interviewed by someone, and, uh, and it happened to me too in a similar circumstance. They, this woman was, uh, had a bad reputation and feeling guilty about it, and she was actually yelling at this poor little old nun, uh, sister, and, and she said, you're judging me, you're judging me, you're judging me. And she said, just in, no, I'm not, I'm just not. Said, yes, you are. I know that you are judging me. And, and Mother Teresa looks at her and, you know, with those kind eyes and says, I can't judge you. I, I, have, I am loving you. If I'm busy judging you, if I'm busy judging you, I can't be loving you. Mm. And, and it's so true, you know, from such a pure heart as, as she had. We, we, we don't we judge objective actions, but we love the person. And if we spend our time judging people, we don't get to the real important part, which is loving them. No, yeah, absolutely, it's, it's absolutely true. I mean, and that's really how we can affect somebody. Uh, as you said, you know, you can come up with the best intellectual arguments. Won't matter. Won't matter. Won't matter. Go ahead. I was going to say, but on the other hand. If you're approached with an intellectual argument, and you are a Christian, and you are a Catholic, and, and you say, I don't know. I mean, you don't get to step two. <laughs> you know, hopefully you're working on the heart anyway, but you got to get to step two. So we're, our, our program is, where is God? Where is God? And we're going to be talking to the atheist. So let's, let's, start, let's start simple and also come to the end and the beginning. There are five classic proofs for the existence of God and a few others on top of that, which we'll talk about. 
Um, Socrates certainly came to the intellectual conclusion, which we'll talk about. Aristotle had his preliminary Greek truths. Aquinas built on those, and that's re- really where we as Catholics go to the five truths. But let's, let's get very simple. You know, everybody has a computer on your desk, right? If, if you're looking for the inventor of the computer, you don't take the cover off and the keyboard off and look inside and tr- expect to find the inventor of the computer. If you're looking for whoever invented the, the, the Tesla, you don't open up the frunk and, you're not, and, and find Elon Musk, right? So to some extent, the atheist, agnostic, the nun is trying to find the person of God in a very material fashion in this world. And it is very easy to dismiss the fact that you can't present Christ on Saturday morning and at, you know, in, in, at Westport Plaza. Now, I know that has some, some difficulties to say we can't find God in his creation. We can. But I'm suggesting let's, let's take a step back and say, okay, atheist, agnostic, do you think you're going to find the creator in the creation and they will likely say no. I mean, you've got to step one. Hmm. I know you disagree with that a little bit. Well, I mean, I just, I just remember, you know, St. Paul saying in Romans that, you know, these uh, people who worship idols can't see God who is in nature around them. God is everywhere around us, and it's obvious for anybody to see. So that's the only kind of exception that I had to what you were saying. But I think, but what I... What I, I do, what I do think is, is, is good that you just said was like, why don't, why don't you ask them the question, can you find God and what's around you? I mean, I think it always works to ask um, somebody who doubts questions and have them sort of, you know, lead you into, you know, what they think about things. Because, you know, if you just make these statements and pronouncements and and try to pontificate to them, they're just going to just tune you out. But if you ask them questions, and then just proceed from question to question, because invariably they'll go down some illogical path. Right, 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 right. And the Socratic method works really, really well. Works really, really well. So, and, you know, one, one of the common areas, or the, uh, again, looking for a common starting point is the beginning of the universe, right? Uh, science has come to the realization that we have had for a long time that the universe was cre- created out of a singularity or an, uh, basically nothing, I guess, in theology. We would call it uh, God created everything ex nihilo. He created everything from nothing, and at least we have a common starting point there. But, uh, what, but what, what was created at that particular moment in, I use the word cautiously, time, the first thing that was created was, in fact, time. You know, I, 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 um, famously, Einstein talks about space-time. So in the expansion of the universe, there is time. There's, so the, whatever created time can't exist in time because that would be illogical. And if, if matter is created at that moment, whoever created matter can't be matter because they that precedes the creation. Same thing with energy, right? So one of those series of questions are, if, if there was no time before the Big Bang, then the 
the creator of the Big Bang must exist outside of time, outside of matter, outside of energy. I think we start the conversation, again, in a very Socratic fashion. I had a conversation along similar lines with somebody at one time. They were, um, I was just in a social setting, and, um, you know, they were making, you know, some, some noises about, the, you know, they, they have trouble, you know, with the, the whole God thing. And so I, I recalled watching a video. If, if, you know, if, if you want somebody else to sort of like do the argument for you, if you want to suggest, hey, just watch a video. I mean, if, watching a video, you know, if somebody wants to take the time, I mean, it's an easy thing to do, right? Um, so it doesn't really require them to do anything. There is a video, you can find it on, on, on just any kind of Google search or what have you, uh, a YouTube video. There was a debate back at Biola University, Biola, it's B-I-O-L-A, a university out in California, I think it was 2009, where um, a professor, he's not Catholic, but he's uh, some, a Christian denomination of some sort. Anyways, um, his name was William Lane Craig, mm-hmm. and he yeah. was debating Christopher Hitchens. Huh. And he went through a series of five arguments uh, for the existence of God, and Hitchens had no answer for any of them. Hitchens just kept coming back and saying things like, well, you know, bad things happen in the world, and if there's a good God, that, that doesn't make sense to me. And that was basically his answer to everything. But Craig laid out a very good series of arguments, five, you know, five of them. Um, and like I said, Hitchens had no answer. So if you want to just simply refer to something, hey, I can't remember all these arguments, but hey, watch this YouTube video. That's a good one to refer people to. Uh, William Lane Craig, Christopher Hitchens, Biola University. That's a good one. And I, I and, got another and video. One of the, I, and I was just going to say, um, I recalled one of the arguments that he made. So when I was having this, this uh, discussion with a friend of mine in this social setting, and he was having trouble with the existence of God, I went down a similar line uh, that you were just talking about, Peter, where I said, you know, um, so how do you get something out of nothing? Right? If, if, in fact, um, there is no creator... Um, and the world I and mean, the universe now is full of all this physical matter. Uh, where did it come from? You know, I mean, can you logically create something, physical, you know, matter that, that we that we know that we live and, with? And you're going for the first argument, which and, which is good. But this is Saint. This is uh, Saint. Lo- this is Saint Louis. This is Saint Joseph Radio presents coming to you live from Saint Louis, Missouri. I got all the saints right. Uh, and we are talking about where is God? This is the ongoing series of evangelization moments. I'm your host and panel member, Peter Karutz, and here to my right is the esteemed. And you're in my attorney. own mind, in my own mind, yeah, and mine too. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Uh, Ray Gerard. So, and I, I rudely interrupted as you were talking about where, where is that well, matter? Well, yeah, just, from? Uh, what's you, the matter? You know, so how can you have something from nothing? And he said, well, you know, science just hasn't just discovered the answer yet. I mean, it was he was just punting. Science hasn't. Science will discover the answer. You know, it just hasn't done it yet. I said, no, no, no. This is not something that science can answer. This is a plain question of logic. You know, and so. You know, um, why can't we consider this now? But he re- he would refuse, and that's that's what you run into a lot. Um, people just you know, even if you come up with the best rational argument, um, you know, it's not going to sway them necessarily. And that is actually the first argument, which is the first cause. And what, one of the things that are argued in the existence of God is that everything that 
exists, and I'm going to contradict myself in a moment, everything that exists or is had a cause, right? I mean, I'm sitting here, you're sitting here. How did we get here? We got in a car. How did we get to the car? Well, someone built the car and somebody mined the materials in them. So there's a whole series going back and further and further and almost to infinity, someone might argue. But everybody who's in existence, everything that is in existence is inexistent because they were caused to be so. So what one of the arguments of God is the uncaused cause, right? The Big Bang. What caused the Big Bang? Well, that can't be, the, if there is a cause to the Big Bang other than God, well, that's not the ultimate cause. So the ultimate cause is God. So I'm going to go to my contradiction. Usually when the argument is presented, they say anything in existence has a cause, right? I, I will change the words just a little bit. Anything that has come into existence has a cause. By definition, the uncaused cause, God, did not come into existence. He always was. So that is one of the first arguments, whether we're looking at Aristotle or, or Aquinas. Uh, it, it is the uncaused cause. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of Aquinas' argument, the argument from efficient cause. Right. Yeah. Um, and uh, well, it's similar, it's on the similar lines, I mean, the argument from motion. Um, things move, you know, but, you know, was it Newton that basically, you know, you know, basically said, you know, that, you know, uh, you know, for something that moves, you know, if you act, if, if something acts on something else, you know, it'll produce. There's an equal and opposite Action to every uh, reaction to every action. Right. So we've got we've got things that move in in the world around us. Well, okay, fine. And they move because something caused them to move. Something else moved, and then that produced another movement, or produced another movement. Okay. Well, so there's all this motion, all this movement. Um, was there always movement? I mean, what was the first movement? What was the first thing? What's, what's the first thing that caused all this motion? So same kind of argument. Um, you know, um, but you know, focusing on on motion just in, instead of instead of just uh, matter. And motion is another good argument, actually. Uh, I remember I was uh, at home one Friday night and I was listening to uh, NPR and they were interviewing uh, physicists and cosmo- cosmologists, et cetera, and they were talking about the creation of the universe, et cetera. And and, and there were a few of them, and one of the things they said is that. If the strong and weak nuclear forces were ever so slightly different, infinitesimally different, then the, the universe wouldn't have expanded. It would have collapsed in on itself. Or if it was just ever so slightly stronger, it would be so, so strong that the, the planets and the stars would not have coalesced. And the interviewer was a, a bit taken aback, and he says, so... She said, so what are you saying? Are you, are you saying you believe in God? So, well, no, I'm, 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 I'm not going to say believe in God, but I don't have any other explanation. <laughs> you know, I, I think he said uh, uh, he, he was living what we say, and that is, I don't have enough faith not to believe in God. Yeah, you, you, there are books out there that go through the numbers that will give you the mathematical specifics on things. 
and it's just it's just to, it is unbelievable you cannot believe this with any kind of rational mind the numbers um, just are astounding for the, in order for the universe to be created the way it is with the uh, physical elements that the way that they are constructed um, and in order for the creation of, of life to exist the numbers if, if you talk about you know these things forming randomly that the, the numbers just go off the charts it you cannot believe this it you know they just I mean to the trillions upon trillions upon trillions I mean the, the, the numbers just get ridiculous um, there and I, I won't um, I'll allude to one thing and then I'll talk about something else but there is a, a former headmaster at one of the Cambridge universities have referred to the six constants six universal constants and if any one of them were not quite right there would never be life and uh, this this the statistic or the probability was if it varied by thus just this much, the probability will be whatever it is. And, and I don't remember what the number was. It was 10 to the 10th to the whatever it was. And I'm, I, I'm, I asked somebody, I, I don't understand what that number is. They said, well, if you counted up all the atoms in the universe, it would be more. <laughs> So the, the, <laughs> so the number is more, the number is higher than the number of atoms in the right. universe. The probability is smaller. I think than you're that. talking about a kind of a big number. Uh, a big number. Now, there is also a, um, a scientist, uh, and a cosmologist. His name is Hugh Ross. And he put together what he called the 19 proofs for the existence of God. And what they are are strictly uh, scientific and cosmological. In other words, if any of these one things were off ever so slightly, you wouldn't have planets, you wouldn't have life. And uh, just to run through of them, the number of star companions, the, the parent star birth date, the parent star age, the parent distance from the center of the galaxy, the parent star mass. In other words, everything, everything has to be just so or else it just flat doesn't work. It just doesn't work. Yeah. And so it's a scientist that came up with that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Hugh Ross. Hugh huh. Ross. Y you know, I was uh, f having a little fun with somebody and uh, 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 talking about um, evolution and how we're all here just by virtue of chance. And I said, well, you know, I do a lot of reading. And um, there's a lot of controversy about what happened on the moon when we went to visit it. You know, some people say we didn't go, but, you know, I, I think we went. But the one thing that has really been kept hush-hush is what they found on the moon. You see, they found a Rolex on the moon. <laughs> and not only did they find a Rolex, but it was working. Ah, very nice. And... And you think about it, you think, well, how did that happen? They say, well, look, the moon has been out there for a long, long time, and it's been hit by asteroids, and it has metal and nickel and gold and everything else. And what happened is that all these meteorites just hit it in such a fashion that it constructed a Rolex. Yeah, after a long enough time. Always, long enough time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just by chance. Eventually you'll end up with a Rolex. By chance. You may think you could ever get to a, you know, like a Rolls Royce maybe? It's absurd, right? <laughs> it's absolutely absurd. But we're willing to believe that that we are here by simple chance, but something, we're, uh, the complexity of a human being is, is 
so much greater than a Rolex that it's not even comparable. I mean, the eye, just the eye that we can see is multiple times more complex than a Rolex. But we believe that we can be here by virtue of just luck, just chance. Probably the most prominent atheist in the entire world is Richard Dawkins. Probably, yeah. Uh, Biologist, Cambridge professor, um, and he wrote a book called The God Delusion. Mm -hmm. And so I get this book um, some years ago, and I remember thinking, okay, so I want to see what's in here because this guy is, you know, by everybody's estimation, like one of the smartest guys on the planet. I guess I got to hold that thought. Uh, We do, but you don't have to hold that thought. You need to go and call your friends on this snowy day in St. Louis and tell them to join us here in the radio because we're talking about where is God? Remember, we're doing it a little bit differently. We're not we're not preaching to the choir today. We're just talking to the choir and say, how do we address the questions that may come to us? Clearly, there's absolutely no doubt. Anybody who's going to come to a belief in God and know and 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 um, and faith in Jesus comes through their heart, no doubt about it. But let's give them a chance to do it. So when they come to us and say, "Hey, there can't be a God," let's give them a good reason why there is, or two, or three, or five, or nineteen. So call a friend. Tell them to join us, and we're going to be back in about two minutes. Remember, come join us and invite a friend. Looking for a way to teach your children about our Catholic faith? Colby Academy has the solution, offering a curriculum that is loyal to the magisterium, classical, Ignatian, flexible, and affordable. Colby can help with all your homeschooling needs. We offer a wide range of services, including live online courses for those looking for assistance teaching their students, recorded self-paced courses for those who want teacher instruction while needing the flexibility to move at their own pace, and traditional homeschool courses for maximum flexibility in home education. Our support services include advising for parents, record keeping and transcript services, a grading service, standardized testing, and guidance and college counseling. For more information, check out their website at colby.org. That's K-O-L-B-E dot org. Or give them a call. Area code 707-255-6499. That's 707-255-6499. It's Colby Academy. St. Joseph Catholic Radio is proud to announce the launch of SJEN-TV, the St. Joseph Evangelization Network. SJEN-TV is a premier online Catholic broadcasting network providing quality Catholic programming 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. We have programming such as live studio interviews, St. Joe's Java speaker presentations, current Catholic issues, and the Pro-Life series. We're featuring the many talented speakers out of Orange County, California, and this Archdiocese of St. Louis, Missouri including Professor John Gresham, Father James Mason, Karen Nokemper, Rick Hollerick, Bill Federer, and many more. To review the program list, go to sjen.tv or on Roku, sjen.tv. All this programming is free, and we are welcoming sponsorship of new programs. Find out more at sjen.tv. Well, I think we're back now. This is your host, Peter Karutz. You are listening to... St. Joseph Radio presents coming to you live from St. Louis, Missouri. Slow, snowy St. Louis, Missouri. Here to my right is Ray Gerard, and this is Evangelization Moments. It is the third Saturday of the month, and we're talking about where is God? 
Where is God? And, Where is uh, God? and you were in I the middle of a thought. I was in the middle of a thought, uh, and it was about uh, this book called The God Delusion by Richard Dawkins. And I was expecting some very erudite, very sophisticated arguments that were going to impress me and blow me away and that might, po- that might possibly be very difficult to refute. And I was struck by one of the arguments, and I was struck by the... Uh, just the foolishness of it, I guess. The, you know, I, I'm trying to use a kind word, but I mean, just the absolute total foolishness of it. So he's talking about miracles and talking about how people sometimes will see a statue move. And there's this, actually, uh, we can admit that this happens and we can come up with a scientific explanation for it. And so I'm, I'm reading this and I'm thinking, my goodness, what's, what's, what's going to come next? And he says, you know, uh, atoms, each individual atoms, is nothing but um, you know certain things moving inside it. You've got these electrons that are moving around. So there's movement. And you know, even if you have what looks like a solid table surface, it's mostly just empty space, you know, with these atoms and there's the you know atoms moving around. And he said, so if you have, let's say, an arm of a statue that waves at you, well, it's possible that if each atom in that statue's arm happens to move in exactly the same way in exa- at exactly the same time, then that arm can actually move. And <laughs> I read that and I thought to myself, that is one of the silliest arguments I think I've ever heard. Um, and, you know, I, but what, you know, what do you do with that? I mean, well, and... Uh, what you're talking about are things that are hard to understand. And, you know, there's a lot of faith in science, too. Well, there's an absolute faith in science. But, I mean, the thing about it is that just, you know, is, is, is beyond credibility. I mean, if you, <clears throat> you know, so you can point to those things and say, you know, that literally does not make any sense. And so the, the people that will believe that there is no God, if you press them with questions um, hard enough, long enough— They'll come to something like this, uh, you know, and it's illogical, and it's absolutely illogical. It is. Uh, just a, there's a funny book. Uh, it's a, called A Short History of Nearly Everything. It's certainly not a religious book. It's written by Bryson, a British humorist, and, and he, he points out that uh, science can be not more difficult to, to believe than you can believe, but more difficult to believe than it is possible to believe. And one of the things that he, he, he points out is that in the, the very small world of the atom, there is a theory that uh, the electrons at one point in time cease to exist, and then they come back into an existence at some point in their orbit. And you think, wow, that's a little bit hard to believe. If you talk about, uh, again, a subatomic uh, analyst and scientists and whatnot, they will calculate and sometimes have their students calculate what is the probability of me, a person, dematerializing here and materializing on Mars, and they can come up with the calculation. So when I said people have a lot of faith, that there's a lot of faith in science, what I'm really saying is that in science, there is a lot of faith, right? This is all theory. So as long as we're having a little bit of fun, I'll give you another video if you want to get somebody who's an atheist maybe to think about it a little bit easier, if you will. There is a, a Peter Kreeft is, is one of my favorite authors, and he, he writes 
faster than I can read. But he did write a short story that uh, a local uh, uh, performer produced into a very informal play. His, his name is O'Brien. I forget what his first name is. But uh, you can find it on YouTube. It's called When Socrates Meets Jesus. And it's a short little play about Socrates who basically uh, materializes on a modern college campus and enrolls in a class called Debunking Christology. <laughs> and it's being presented by a professor who is an atheist, by a Christian who is weak in her faith, to say the least, and uh, an atheist. And all of a sudden, Socrates strolls in. So he, he, uh, he comes at this from, uh, you would think, a, a, a different perspective, right? It's a fanciful, all right? But he, it, it's really, it really makes you think, right? It really makes you think, because Socrates has came to the conclusion that there is a God, there is only one God, it is the unknown God, and he believed it so firmly that he began teaching his students that, and that's what he was put on trial for, for corrupting the minds of the youth. And all Socrates had to do is say, ah, you're right, there's, you know, 23 gods or whatever it is, and and, uh, and, and he wouldn't have been executed. He was executed because he came to the intellectual belief that there is one God. Socrates never met a Christian. He lived, what, 350 BC. He never met a Jew. He did it from an intellectual standpoint. It can be done. So let's, uh, let, let's have some fun. Re- recommend that video, Socrat- When Socrates Meets Jesus. <laughs> Seriously, it is a lot of fun. It's, it's about an hour or so. You know, the other thing I was thinking of is that a lot of times people who choose not to believe um, are not all that intellectually curious. Uh, it, it never ceases it, it, to amaze me that they will avoid things that are uncomfortable. For example, you take the subject of miracles. Um, you know, they'll come up with an explanation, a scientific explanation, you know, as to, to why something, why some particular miracle happened. And uh, some physical cure. Somebody got a physical healing, you know, well, you know, the, the, the disease they had was all in their head anyway or whatever. Okay. Well, maybe you can explain one medical miracle that way. How about 10? How about 100? How about 1,000? You know, if you, for example, were to read a book on the life of Padre Pio, you know, you'll find basically, I mean, like 1,000 miracles. Um, you know, I'm just... You know, I'm amazed. People, you know, I, I would uh, like to ask somebody, I mean, aren't you curious about these things? Would you, if I give you a challenge, would you read a book about mm-hmm. Padre Pio or something? Mm-hmm. And they'll resist you. And, you know, you could say, well, but aren't you intellectually curious? I mean, isn't this the most important question that there is, whether or not there is a God, whether there's meaning to anything, uh, to everything, or whether or not there's just chaos. And if, in fact, that is the most important question, then wouldn't you willing to have your mind open to an other explanation? Why, don't, why not read a book about a saint like Padre Pio? And uh, I don't know, you know, if any, you know, I mean, I, I would think most times what you'll probably just end up receiving is just a lot of resistance. But maybe it'll feel, you know, maybe they might feel a little uncomfortable, a little challenged. I mean, uh, you know, I've got no problem. I have no fear of reading a book by Dawkins or reading any, Absolutely. reading any of these arguments. Um, you know, and uh, you know why? Why should they be afraid to read a book about 
you know? I think that's a great point. But we have to be willing to do that, too. If they challenge us to read something, we better do it, right? I mean, that's what we're asking them to do. We better do it. Hey, I'm going to take a little side road and just remind everybody that uh, the Catholic Men for Christ conference is coming up. Let me tell you about some of the speakers. Father Paul Housing, he's going to be coming from uh, the Archdiocese of Omaha. Uh, There's, of course, Jeff Cavins, who is famously the author of The Great Adventure, and Father Schmitz, I think, is actually doing a podcast this year. I'm doing it. You read the whole uh, scripture in a year. Uh, But Jeff Cavins is just a brilliant, brilliant man. And then a local favorite son. His name is Steve Algeyer. I'll I'll argue that Steve Algeyer has probably done more for the the kingdom than, than anybody I know. He is one of the founders of the uh, Life Teen organization. He's right here in St. Louis. In fact, he has the Adoration Hour after I do. He, think about it. There are millions, millions of teenagers who go to Mass, to a Life Teen Mass every Sunday. What would we do to have the faith growing and um, existing and, and, and flourishing in our youth? Well, he's doing some of that. So please come and uh, join us at the Catholic Men for Christ it's uh, coming up here in February, February 12th. It's on a Saturday. It's, it's, you start about 9 o'clock in the morning. Uh, if you don't know where to go to sign up, just, just go to Google Catholic Men for Christ. It's the easiest thing to do. That's what I do. Um, Catholic Men for Christ, come and see these incredible speakers. It's, it's sort of a mini retreat. It really is just a mini retreat to... Uh, be with some other men who are trying to get closer to God, and invite your young friends too. Invite the teenagers. Invite and teenagers are fine to come. The college students and those people right out in the workforce. So Catholic men for Christ, please come and see us. That's how it, yeah, um, it should be. It sounds like uh, like it should be a great experience, a great day. Yeah. yeah. And another argument for for God is what might be called the universal moral argument. So when you talk to an atheist, you say, well, I, I'm a good person, right? I, I, I have morals. I have ethics, right? Well, but the question is, and we, and we won't disagree with that, will we, right? You know, they're good people who, who don't necessarily believe in God. But, but, but why are they good and why are they moral? Where, where did that come from? Yeah, we, so we all, the universal moral argument, we all have a certain sense of certain things being wrong. For example, it's not right to kill other people. Well, why? Why isn't it okay to kill somebody else? If I evolved from fish, if my great-grandfather's a fish, what do my particular morals have to do with, as you said, the universal moral? Actually, it's meaningless. Actually, it should be okay to kill other people. I mean, if, in fact, you believe in this idea of the survival of the fittest, uh, then the weaker people in our society don't deserve to continue to live. Uh, So they ought ought to be able to kill other people. I mean... How, how horrific is that? Um, but we all have this sense. Well, why? Where does it come from? Or another way, what I like is, well, you know, do we generally feel good if you do something nice for somebody else? Why? Does that make you feel good? Why? If you do something nice for somebody else. Yeah. So, But does it, does it please you if, for example, uh, you put a smile on your son or daughter's face? Um, why? You know, uh, does it please you, for example, like a Christmas morning, uh, you know, the kids are opening up their presents and they're happy. Uh, why? Why, are you, why? Why does that please you? Where does that come from? Um, 
do we have some kind of connection with with other people? Are we all somehow, you know, is there a goodness uh, that we just intrinsically appreciate or value or feel? Where does that come from? If it's all just, if everything is just random chaos, there's no reason for that. Yeah, if I'm just accidentally put together by a series of molecules and and, and amino acids, what, what meaning does it have? You mentioned William Lane Craig. He put it this way. It's a one, two, three, okay? Easy to remember. If God does not exist, objective moral values do not exist. Objective moral values do exist. Therefore, God exists. I'll say that again. If God does not exist, objective moral values do not exist. We know that objective moral values do exist. Therefore, God exists exists. But somebody will, some people will take issue with that. There are people out there Absolutely. Who, do, who do not believe that objective moral values exist. Just look at things happening around us where, you know, people aren't being prosecuted for certain crimes. Um, it, is, it, is it wrong to commit a certain crime? Well, no, not really. Um, yeah, there, there are people that will challenge that. Um, and so then, of course, you know, the, 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 the response would be, well, if that's true, if objective morals don't exist, then we can do anything. Uh, then, like I said before, killing would be okay. And so I think, yeah, if you go back to that question and answer thing, we ask about, well, is killing okay? And if somebody, and if the response is, well, no, it's not okay, well, why not? Usually, the, um, at least what I found is that the retort, if, it, if they're careful, will say, uh, you're confusing things. This is just societal mor- norms. These are societal morals. They, there isn't anything, any such thing as a universal. So I say, as you pointed out, well, in Nazi Germany, the society said it was okay to execute Jews and gypsies and Catholic priests and nuns, et cetera. That that's not, every, everybody will agree that is not a universal norm, right? There is a universal norm for which or to which this is compared to, right? That there was a societal abrogation or a, anomaly, if you will, but we do have the objective moral universal norms by which we evaluate these societal norms. Yeah, it's a, fun, it's a funny thing. So I mentioned uh, Richard Dawkins before. I came across uh, an article in the London Sunday Times, I don't know, maybe three years ago or so forth. And it, uh, they were interviewing or they quoted Dawkins, and it was shocking and surprising what Dawkins said in this interview. So... You know we're we're living in a in a world where you know there's more and more there's more and more crime there's more this there's more unrest there's more you know people are uh, you know fighting with you know one another more and more I mean it's it's said that we're you know more divided than we have ever been before et cetera et cetera and so Dawkins was trying to deal with this and you know because he was an ardent proponent for years and years and years that we can come up with our own Morality. There is no universal morality, but we as a society of intelligent human beings can come up with our own system of morality. We'll make it up and it'll be just and it'll be good. Well, why aren't we doing that? Why why is there more crime? Why is there more evil? Why is there 
you know, you know, more bad uh, things that people, bad actions that people committed against other people. And so, you know, having been for years this ardent proponent of self-styled morality, he said, you know, and, and now the failure of that to work, he actually admitted in this in this interview, you know, maybe it's a good idea if we keep religion around just for the sake of having some kind of restraint on people. Just so, the Just in case. Well, no, because people will be fooled, but restrained. They won't, you know, I mean, you know, it's a good, religion is a good thing to have around just as a, as a tool, even though it's not true, but it's, it'll it'll serve a useful purpose in making people behave. You get the, you get the camel's nose under the tent. We got another argument for, in in that regard as well. But this is St. Joseph Radio Presents coming to you live from St. Louis, Missouri, the Rome of the West, I'm your host and panel member, Peter Karutz, and here to my right is Ray Gerard. And we are ta- this is Evangelization Moments, the third Saturday of the month, and we are talking about where is God? So I- I'm okay with that, right, with-, with Dawkins saying that. At least he has opened the door. The door, has- there's a crack in it. You know, there's also famously Pascal's wager, right? Uh, I've I remember two young people arguing. Actually, it was one of my, it was my youngest daughter, and she was talking in my own home to this, this young man, a Hispanic boy, who's going to a Catholic school who said he doesn't believe in God. And Carolyn just went through and said, how in the world can that possibly be? I mean, and, and he was, it was just so illogical to her, right? And finally, she said, what if you're right? What happens when you die? He says, well, nothing. You know, there's nothing. So what happens if you're wrong? And that is the essence of Pascal's wager. It, it, it's not theological. It's just self-interested. <laughs> <laughs> just have a safety valve. Have a safety valve. And we should, we should get, the, you know, get the camel's nose under the, under the tent because things will change. It, it, once the heart is open, give, give God a half a chance, and he's going to work on you. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, the thing is, um, yeah, the, the funny thing is, you know, don't you want to be loved? You know, don't you want to believe that there is a universal love? Um, if, you know, if, there's, if there really is this God, and he is, in fact, a loving God, why wouldn't you want that? And in these last uh, few minutes that we have, let's talk about the two, two arguments that we have left on the table, and they both are founded in love. You know, we, we, our belief in God and our belief in Jesus Christ is that he rose from the dead. So, you know, we, we, we look at what happened at, at the time of Christ and when he, uh, when he died and when he rose. Every one of the apostles, save John, was martyred. People don't die for a lie. People do not die for a lie. You had people living at this time who saw the risen Christ. And we have, even more so, you had people who died to testify to that truth. Now that's a profound change in one's being, right? To be able to die for a belief. Socrates did it from an intellectual standpoint, but the apostles did it from a a love standpoint in order to spread the word. Yeah, I mean that's that's certainly um, you know another uh, very clear argument. Okay, so who was Christ? Was there a Christ? 
And, uh, you know, anybody, I think, who's, who's got an open mind will admit that there was a historical person named Christ. You can, you know, the Roman, uh, the, the Roman historians that write about him, et cetera, et cetera. Um, okay, so if there was this person uh, who's called Christ, then you can go into the argument, you know, put forth by C.S. Lewis, which is, okay, so who was Christ? He said he was God. So, he, so there's only one of three possibilities, you know, for someone who claims to be God. Either number one, they're nuts. They're just they're just a crazy person, and that gets you, to, I think, to what you're talking about, Peter. Which is, well, if he's a crazy person, who would follow such such a person? Or he could be an outright liar. You know, he'd have to be an evil person, just lies. And again, you know, who's you know, I mean, you know, who's going to follow that kind of person? Now, who's going to die, you know, for that kind of person? Or he could be exactly who he said he was. You know, I mean. So, you know, I mean, was there this person called Christ? And they may not want to, you know, go there or think about it or, ex- or examine that. <clears throat> but if challenged, I mean, you know, I mean, why not? Um, there's, you know, and, it <clears throat> and there's so much love to be felt by Christ. There's so much to be forgiveness to be felt by Christ. You know, is there anything you're sorry for? Is there anything you've, you've done wrong? Is there anything you'd like to take back? You know, can you <clears throat> can you be forgiven? And if you, you know, wouldn't you want to be forgiven? Um, there is so much in the way of evidence, you know, for the good things that can come from believing in Christ in your own personal life. Right. And, and again, getting our nose <clears throat> under the tent, meeting the atheist, the agnostic, the nun where they're at, the nuns. Uh, one of the things we could point them to is uh, Lee Strobel's uh, book, The Case for Christ. He was an atheist. He was an investigative reporter and a very well-respected one. And his purpose in writing this book was to disprove the existence of Christ. And he's just talking about it from a historical standpoint. His conclusion at the end of the book was, Yes, Christ existed, and he became a Christian. <laughs> yes, Jesus was who he said he was, um, liar, fool, or, or, or God, right? So, again, there is a common element. Here's an atheist, agnostic at, at least, who pursued the proposition that Christ didn't exist. He came full circle and said not only did he exist, but he is God. The, the last argument, I think, is really what should be the first argument, and you started with it. We can have all the intellectual arguments that we want to have, but, and we can win all those arguments, too, because you're, 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 you're a good arguer and you're very intelligent. But that doesn't change, that doesn't change a heart. I'm trying to remember who said it, but, and you've heard it many times. Nobody cares what you know until they know how much you care. And I, I remember I visited a client, uh, and we were, I was talking to him, and he was talking about his boss, who I never get to meet. And, and he, was, he was a great manager, a great leader, a compassionate man, very wise. And he told me one day I went into his office, and he says, you are as different a person as I have ever met. What, what, why are you who you are? He says... I go to Mass every morning. I'm a Christian. So the last argument, I think, is our lives. We need to 
as, as they say at the end of the Mass, right? Go proclaim the gospel with your lives. That's what's going to argue a person into belief, into God, into theism, and into love with our Lord Jesus Christ. Be the example. Be Christ for one another. Every encounter we have with our brothers and sisters, make sure that we bring one thing. We bring the love of Jesus Christ and everything else will follow. So please consider coming to the Catholic Men for Christ on February 12th. Google it, find it, join us, tell a friend, and please come back to this program at noon every Saturday and invite a friend. It'll do you good. Help us change the world. You've been listening to St. Joseph Radio Presents from the Rome of the West, St. Louis, Missouri. If you would like to join us in our evangelization efforts, you can order a copy of today's broadcast or any of our past programs by visiting us on our website, stjosephradio.net. That's S-A-I-N-T, josephradio.net. Or call us, 636-447-6000. It's all at your fingertips to help us evangelize the world, bringing the good news of Christ to everyone you meet and change one soul at a time. Thank you for your prayers and support. Until next time, may God bless you and your family. This has been a presentation of St. Joseph Radio Presents. Well, Internet people, I think we're about to sign off, but I, I have something sitting here. What in the world is that? This is a book called Choosing Heaven which happens to be by my favorite author. Um, it happens to be by my wife. But anyways, um, it's a series of reflections, a lot of biblical uh, quotations, and a series of reflections, all based on the proposition, well, what would happen if at the moment of death, no matter what kind of life you've lived, uh, you have one final chance to turn towards God? You know, oh, wow. it's, it's always said, nobody is made to go to hell. People choose, choose hell. Choose it. Right. Well, why would anybody choose hell? If you get, you know, why would you make that choice? So if we all get one final chance to choose heaven, and Jesus is there, and he's beckoning to us to come, but because of the way we lived our life, our judgment is clouded, and we can't really hear or see him. How scary would that be? And what can we do to prepare ourselves? So that, that doesn't happen to us. Well, it's in the book. Very good. And uh, uh, I guess you know the author well. You can uh, recommend oh, I can it. Rec I can recommend the book. comes highly recommended. There you go. Choosing heaven. And first step in choosing heaven, I guess, is choosing God, right? The first step is, is buying the book. Buy the book. There you go. <laughs> what am I, crazy? So contact us here at uh, St. Joseph Evangelization Network. The phone number is 636 Ah, 636-447-6000, 636-447-6000, or on the internet, right? S-J-E-N-T-V. There you go. We'll talk to you soon.